This is Polar Geopolitics, a podcast analyzing the global and regional implications of rapid environmental change and rising international interest in the Arctic and Antarctica. Hi, this is Eric Paglia in Stockholm, Sweden. Time now for episode 46 of the Polar Geopolitics podcast. Energy issues are on the top of mind of pretty much everyone here in this part of the world, in Europe, in the Arctic, in the Baltic region. And a very timely report was released just a few weeks ago by the Egmont Institute in Brussels, Belgium. And on the phone line here, I'm very happy to have one of the co-authors of that report, Ambassador Marianne Konens, former EU ambassador for the Arctic and senior associate fellow at the Egmont Institute, previously the first EU ambassador for the Arctic, and is currently a member of the board of directors of the International Polar Foundation of Belgium. Ambassador uh, Konens, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you, Eric. And the name of this report is uh, Europe's Energy and Resource Challenge. The Arctic is part of the solution. So perhaps you can start by telling us about this new report and why you argue that Europe should look to the Arctic during this time of climate crisis, energy insecurity, and questions over the supply of strategic natural resources. I think that the reply to your question is in the title, which is indicated very clearly that the Arctic is part of the solution to address Europe's energy and resources challenge. And why? It's because, in the first place, European Union needs to speed up its green energy transition. We have this green deal, which is very well known. But that means concretely that we need more renewable energy and we need also critical minerals, which are crucial for the green transition. So at the same time, we need energy security, which means in the current circumstances, less independence, for example, from uh, Russian uh, fuels and gas. And we need, especially uh, with regard to the critical minerals, more strategic autonomy for the European Union, meaning that we need these critical materials for the energy transition, but they cannot only come from one place in the world where we might have also some problems of supply. And therefore, we need to diversify which indicates in a nutshell that the Arctic is instrumental to the European Union, one, to realize, to contribute in realizing the Green Deal, to end its dependence uh, of fossil fuels, gas and oil for Russia, and third, to strengthen its autonomy, energy security and autonomy in the supply of critical minerals. In the recent EU Arctic strategy, the updated version of that, declared that all uh, fossil fuels should be left in the ground in the Arctic in particular. So this this new um, report from the Egmont Institute that you co-authored, that is pointing not towards natural gas and other such fossil fuels, but more the materials that go into building wind turbines and solar panels and also um, energy sources such as hydropower. Is there any particular places you're looking to in the Arctic? I mean, the Arctic, of course, is a very broad region. Is it mostly the European Arctic you're looking towards, or are you looking towards the Arctic in general, I guess, excluding Russia under present circumstances? Of course. uh, I would say in the first place we are looking to the European Arctic. But, of course, as we have excellent partnership with Canada, I have been EU ambassador to Canada before that I was EU ambassador to the Arctic, and also with the US where we have special partnerships, including on maritime and Arctic issues. But I would say in the first place, we have to look to the European Arctic, which actually is also to the European policy uh, makers is not 
really on the radar when they're addressing these major challenges. The Arctic is, of course, well known for the climate change uh, challenges, the warming up and the effects it will have on global warming. But when you speak, for example, in renewable energy or mineral resources in the Arctic, it's mostly not known. Therefore, when Europe or other authorities are developing a specific strategy, an energy strategy or limit in shipping or drilling, anything, the Arctic is not on their radar. And that is something I think which is it's really necessary, which EU Arctic policy, with its policy, tries also to have a more streamlining of the Arctic in the different uh, policies, and which will be uh, key because the Arctic is not isolated from other important policy decisions that had to be taken. You mentioned oil and gas and the position of the European Union. It's not only the position of the European Union that fossil fuels should stay in the ground. It's also the, the International Energy uh, Agency is saying the same, the UN with the Secretary General. And what we especially wanted to mention is that it's absolutely not responsible in the current circumstances to have new fossil fuel resources explored um, everywhere in the world, but particularly in the Arctic, where you have such a fragile, fragile environment and where even if, for example, Norway is saying we offer the highest standards in the exploration of fossil fuel, well, there is no green exploration of fossil fuel, so they should stay in the ground. And I personally hope that with the dependency that we have or the ending of the dependency of Russian oil and gas, that it will not be an excuse for saying, okay, we're going longer to continue to export fossil fuels from other regions. If we look in a more broad sense, how does the war in Ukraine affect Europe's outlook on the Arctic in general? In the first place, which is very well done, it has shown the Russian war in Ukraine shows the EU dependence on oil and gas, uh, which is used by Russia very clearly as an economic and political weapons, and therefore the European Commission has launched its program, which is called Repower, is to decrease uh, the dependency in the first place of Russian gas and oil, and again, to make a link with the European Green Deal to stimulate renewable energy. But in general, and I have been participating at conferences dealing with Arctic and security, it's uh, the tensions everywhere has increased, including in the Arctic. Uh, the Arctic is not immune, I would say, uh, from conflicts. It was not before the war of Russia in Ukraine. Already in 2014 with Crimea, uh, there has been sanctions which has been taken, which had a direct effect. Uh, sanctions, for example, which were touching uh, Russian investments, uh, which were uh, on the sanctions uh, list, but for example, also had uh, the result that Russia blocked the official observer status of the European uh, Union at the Arctic Air Council. But in general, we see that with the war in Ukraine, there has been an even more increase of militarization in the Arctic of the Arctic, and this, of course, is an increase of threat. And therefore, this is one of the main reasons why also NATO finally started its involvement in the Arctic. That's the reason why you had Sweden and Finland applying for membership with NATO, because Arctic states 
regarding security are safer when they are part of NATO. With the whole Russia situation as it is at the moment with this recent uh, issue with the, uh, the Nord Stream pipeline in the Baltic Sea, it really shows the vulnerability of energy infrastructure and infrastructures in general. I mean, if you're yeah. talking about these these long distance, um, perhaps bringing in hydropower from Norway, perhaps even from Greenland, does that raise any concerns about just the general vulnerability of uh, looking to the Arctic, which is still quite distant even from even from Northern Europe, to have these long um, supply chains and transport lines to bring energy and other resources from the Arctic down to the European continent? Yes, you mentioned yourself that this is a problem, the vulnerability of infrastructure is a problem in general, it's not linked to the Arctic. I mean, it happened now, we have seen it with the probably the sabotage of Nord Stream 1 and 2, but that I would say is more linked in general with cybersecurity, is linked with security in, in general and the protection of critical infrastructure. And I would not see it particularly linked to the Arctic um, as we will be focusing and we are focusing on, for example, linking infrastructure coming from the Arctic with exclusion of the Russian Arctic. That means it will be infrastructure for the European Arctic or the American Arctic to, let's say, to, to Europe. And there, it is not particularly linked to the Arctic, but there, in general, it's a security matter uh, where states will have to take into account the protection of critical infrastructure wherever it is situated. And one of the uh, countries I mentioned in the report as a potential competitor, if not adversary, is China. You uh, indicate that it's a problem to be dependent upon China for certain uh, strategic uh, minerals, some of these critical minerals yeah. going into alternative energy sources. But also China is at the same time also perhaps in some ways competing for the same natural resources in the Arctic, making investments in certain places. Do you see this as another area of competition between Europe and China? I would say not necessarily. Uh, what is concerned of us, what you mentioned in the first place, is that in some areas, Europe is extremely dependent on, let's say, some critical minerals coming from China. In some cases, more than 90%. This is not only a matter of, I would say it, a very is a not healthy uh, independence. Um, it is a problem for the strategic autonomy of the European Union, but also there is a second element of that, and that's why we are pushing for having more sustainable extraction of minerals and mining in the European Arctic, because if we have these minerals of which we are extremely dependent, let's say from China, we have them in abundance in some places in the European Arctic, we can assure that these development extractions are done in the most sustainable way as possible. So it's an issue of strategic autonomy to be guaranteed and also to ensure that what we are doing is being done in a sustainable uh, way. Therefore, what China is doing and China's interest in the Arctic is like other partners in the Arctic, other countries, it's linked with climate change, it's linked with research, 
economic interests, very clearly in the case of China, which not necessarily is bad, but it's more linked with the general behavior of China, not only in the Arctic, but elsewhere in the world, where all its trade and investment practices, uh, where uh, I said it's not only a question of being competitor, but there are some practices which, which we have to follow and we have to be careful about. China has to do in everything they in their ambitions in the Arctic or elsewhere, they really have to respect international uh, law standards and also being transparent in what they are doing. Have they been transparent and following the rules so far from what you've seen in their activities in the Arctic? What we have noticed, which is, is not very well maybe known, is that they have been investing everywhere uh, what we can all call strategic investments in, in, in ports all over the world, but also in Europe, also in, in northern uh, countries. This is not a problem in itself, but if you look at the map of these investments that China is being doing, it's intensifying its grip on certain strategic investments in Europe. And therefore, I think that the European Union, since rather recently, is being much more aware and also has some instruments to protect strategic investments when they see that the strategic autonomy of uh, Europe would be limited. One part of the Arctic that China, the European Union, and the United States have shown quite a bit of interest in in the last five or ten years is Greenland. You mentioned Greenland in the report, and it's obviously a place where many of these minerals can be found. You also mentioned uh, the possibilities of hydropower, perhaps even exportable hydropower from Greenland. Um, How do you see the European Union and European countries further developing their relationship with Greenland, which of course is a part of the Kingdom of Denmark, but as an autonomous part of the kingdom, it is not a member of the European Union. So how do you approach Greenland as a potential um, place where many of these uh, these minerals and energy sources that uh, that you think are so important to European uh, energy security can be found? Mm -hmm. Greenland has already a quite good relation with the European Union, despite not being a member of it. We had until recently, for example, uh, we have been, not until recently, the European Union has been giving substantial assistance to cooperation programs with Greenland. I remember when I was EU ambassador for the Arctic that we had a major program of the European Union supporting education systems in uh, Greenland. We have now also strengthened uh, relations with Greenland. We are going to open an office of the European Commission in Greenland. And I would say that Greenland for the European Union and our cooperation, which is very important for mainly three uh, reasons, of two reasons. In the first place, Greenland can secure supplies of at least 30 strategic raw materials. As the European Union wants to diversify its sources of key minerals by using modern technology here, Greenland can supply most of what European Union needs. Greenland, for example, joined the European Union Minerals Group, which is a multi-billion European effort to promote uh, mining in a sustainable way. So they will play definitely a key role in providing sources key minerals. And secondly, the example that you mentioned, renewable energy. I can give you 
two examples. First place is a Belgium example, is that Belgium is, for example, very interested in a project to promote the construction of tens of thousands of wind turbines in Greenland with the aim to supply in future a large quantity of electricity for Europe. This is being examined for the moment by a university in Liège, in Boutique, in Belgium. It corresponds equally with the plans of the Prime Minister of Greenland, who has said recently at a Wilson Centre conference in the US that Greenland wants to become a net exporter of green renewable energy, including to Europe. The problem for the moment is that there are a lot of renewable resources in Greenland itself, an abundance of it. The big issue is how to ensure transport from Greenland let's say, to the rest of Europe. One possibility is lying, for example, uh, 4,000 cables to Europe, which is maybe not the most suitable way. And therefore, also the university in Belgium are looking into transform it in such a way that it can ship to Europe in sufficient big proportions. So I would say, in a nutshell, greenness is important for the European Union, for Europe, for supply of strategic minerals and secondly uh, also for the renewable energy. It seems like Greenland is going through a a moment of soul searching, right? Very divided opinion in Greenland about what kind of country or what kind of, well, I guess eventually country it should be in terms of whether it should become a place of mining and and, and industrial activity or more of the uh, traditional way of life that they've had for, for, uh, for centuries. So but this is positive. Uh, I think that what what I learned from from Greenland is that really they want they are in favor of mining, but sustainability for them is key, and therefore they have been blocking some of the mining projects. And I think we can only welcome that that they could take another position and saying, okay, they want to have an independence of which economic income is extremely important so they could say okay we want to have this income this mining at any price no their position is not at any price we want that sustainability is key in our policy so i personally found this very positive coming from the outside how would the european union and other other actors uh, approach these local circumstances also to not be seen perhaps as green colonialists or trying to relegate communities in the Arctic to being some sort of resource peripheries? Mm -hmm. In the first place, I would say that these local conditions are in the first place determined by locally, regionally, and by the country itself where it takes place. So that's not the European Union who is going there to decide if, for example, there is mining in a certain European country in Finland or in Sweden. I mean, they, in the first place, deal with the requirements. Here are two things. If it regards only the exploration and the exploration or the mining, there at European level, we can guarantee absolutely that we have the highest standards in environment, in production of the whole world, I would say, and in ensuring sustainable production of everything which is happening within the territory of the European 
uh, Union, including in the territory of the European uh, Arctic. That's one thing. The second element is what you mentioned, that's the rights and the position and the voice of the local population, including the indigenous. And this is a kind, I would say, evolution I have seen over the last year. A very positive one is that the voice of indigenous people is taken much, much more into account. Maybe not yet sufficiently. And it's extremely important. It's reflected in the policy of the European Arctic policy, which, by the way, has an annual dialogue. And I would say it's not limited to an annual dialogue, but has a regular dialogue with the indigenous peoples in the Arctic. It's absolutely necessary to what is being done in these places that the voice of the Arctic the people has to be heard. Um, their position has to be taken uh, into account. It's the people, it's their land, they are living there. And therefore, I think it's these two things have to be, is to go hand in hand, is that whatever is being envisaged regarding economic development in Arctic regions has to be done in a sustainable way and has to be done in agreement with the people living there. Just in terms of implementing some of the ideas in this uh, new report, who is this targeted at? Are you talking about the European Commission and the uh, general EU energy policies? Or is it more on a national government level or particular companies? Or who actually would implement these measures that the the report suggests needs to, uh, to take place? When you speak about measures which are norms and standards, that's decided on European level, which is agreed on European level. This is kind of European law, which has to be implemented by the member states regarding the industrial development, for example. But when you speak about the rights and uh, respecting the rights of the indigenous people, this, of course, is embedded in the national law of each of these Arctic states. But overall, there is this European policy uh, related to the rights of indigenous people, which are linked to the overall policy of human rights of the European Union. So the policies of national states has to be within the guidelines of the European law requirements. As a final question, um, Ambassador Conans, um, you've written uh, quite a bit recently about the Arctic interests of Belgium, the country you're based in, yeah. in Brussels. And there's been a number of other reports and others that have emphasized the polar activities and the polar competencies of uh, Belgium. What is the Belgian outlook on the Arctic and the Arctic Council? And uh, is there some intention to uh, apply for observer status to the Arctic Council? And why, why do you see Belgium as a stakeholder in the Arctic? I'm particularly grateful for for this uh, question because this is one of the reasons why I have this position as Senior Associate Fellow at the Egmont Institute to deal particularly to uh, stimulate also a Belgian policy on the Arctic. And it started actually last year when you had a resolution of the Belgian Parliament, which was adopted nearly by unanimity, asking that the Belgian government should work out an Arctic strategy. And the Ministry of Foreign Affairs has then mandated Egmont policy to assist them in the formulation of uh, such an Arctic strategy or policy. And the reasons are, of course, explained already in the resolution of the parliamentary resolution. But in the meantime, we also have done a policy paper of the Egmont 
to ask uh, what actually is at stake for Belgium in the Arctic. And I would say that the Belgium has very specific interest in the Arctic, starting, I would say, with its research and science. We have a very long tradition in Belgium regarding polar research, which already dated in uh, 1800s and the 19s when we had famous Arctic Antarctica expedition on board of our sailing uh, vessel, the Belgica, which was the very first international scientific expedition in Antarctica. So we are not starting from scratch, but we have for the moment in Belgium state-of-the-art Arctic research infrastructure. We have in Antarctica, we have the Princess Elizabeth Research Station, which is the only zero, the only green research station in the polar regions. And we have, since recently, the newest research vessel, which is called the Belgica, I think it's the third Belgica that we have since 1800. It's a brand new research vessel that will do scientific research in the in the Arctic. So we have a very, very strong record and already an activity in polar research. And we had recently, on the 22nd of September, the Egmont, together with other organizations, including Belspo in Belgium, organized a polar scientific conference, uh, which was a major success. So we dare to say, not without modesty, that we are a leading nation in polar research and innovation. Secondly, Belgium also, as other countries, states have an economic interest. We have interest investment in the energy uh, shipping. Belgium has a small coast, but it's also a maritime uh, nation. And I mentioned already that we have this mega renewable energy project in Greenland, but also a port in Belgium, which is Seebrugge, which is the biggest LNG port in Europe and plays a very important role from LNG coming from the Arctic. So we have a lot of economic interests, which we intend also to examine in the next month and organizing a big economic event. The third interest of Belgium is linked to uh, security. We have in Belgium since 2021 or February 2022, I don't recall it exactly, we have the latest Belgium national security uh, strategy, uh, which for the very first time also uh, mentions the Arctic region. So the, and there is a big interest, we have seen this reflected in the resolution of the parliament, but also uh, we know it from the Ministry of Defence, there is a big interest in security-related issues. Security, I would call, in a very large uh, sense, environment, climate, hard security, safety, energy, raw materials, and therefore also Belgium wants to play its, its role. And the fourth reason is that if we are going to work out an Arctic policy or strategy, we also want to pay attention to the people living in the Arctic. We have not yet defined, I would say, uh, what exactly our objectives uh, will be. But in any case, if we will be working out such a Belgium Arctic strategy, it will have to be embedded in the European Union Arctic policy, because we want to be an added value to what is already decided and implemented on European level. So this, I would say, in a nutshell, you mentioned Arctic Council. We have 
not yet discussed, but in case that we will be developing a Belgian Arctic strategy, uh, we might not exclude that one of the objectives in the long term might be Belgium applying observer status at the Arctic Council. But in any case, I said this is not nothing uh, for the moment, particularly now also that the Arctic Council is, uh, the cooperation is put on hold. And of course, Brussels is the seat of NATO and uh, the European Union, the European capital in some sense. Do you think this makes it that much more important for Belgium to be part of the Arctic uh, as an observer, perhaps, or at least some sort of very strong stakeholder in the Arctic? And do you think that these uh, being the seat of these institutions enhances its status in Arctic matters? I would say it definitely facilitates <laughs> our ambitions and our engagement on, on the Arctic because we have a, a direct contact with all the major uh, players, direct contact uh, with the EU institutions uh, dealing with the Arctic. We have very, very c- good contact as well with all the Arctic states, the European ones, Canada also and the US. And the regions, particularly the northern regions, we have excellent cooperation and contact with the Nordic offices of Norway, Sweden and Finland, which are based in Brussels. So, And also with the Faroe Islands, with Greenland, it facilitates that everybody is there on the place with a big interest in, in the Arctic. As I said before, Egmont works closely, works with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, having been mandated. So we have a very proactive stand on the Arctic and being in Brussels in the heart of the European Union, it definitely facilitates. Well, Ambassador Marianne Konens, former EU ambassador for the Arctic and senior associate fellow at the Egmont Institute in Brussels. Thank you very much, Eric, for having me with the opportunity for this interview and also to give visibility among others about Belgian engagement on the Arctic. Thank you very much.